Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey Blackburn. I'm your host and joining me, Emily Schiltz, my lovely co-host. Hey, hey, hey. How you doing? Great. I'm are, always, you, are you recovered um, from like all the craziness the past couple weeks have been? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to give the listener a little bit of context, if you follow anything that we do on social media uh, that our church does, Resonate Church, Resonate Indie is all of our social media handles. We just moved, just yeah, kind of like did. picked up out of one location that we were, that we've been meeting at for the past three years at Northview Middle School. Mm-hmm. And we moved down the road to another school, Heritage Christian. And there are a lot of reasons for that move. Lots and lots of reasons. Stewardship reasons. We're saving a lot of money. Um, being able to put it and posture ourselves for a place of growth, mm-hmm. offer multiple services, all of that stuff. Just very clearly God led us yeah. to move. It was so clear to us. And so quick. <laughs> and but so quick. And that was the thing. It remind we talk about it kind of reminds us of like the people of Israel and they're being led in the wilderness by this pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Mm-hmm. And how they'd have to like set up the tabernacle and then when the cloud moved, they have to like tear everything down <laughs> oh, and okay. move. And it's like you legitimately they could get everything set up, start their worship service and all of a sudden the clouds drifting. Can you imagine that? It's like don't oh, come on, you know. <laughs> yeah. But that's what it feels a little bit like to do portable church. Yes. And uh, Emily is across from me right now, uh, very um, uh, fake bright-eyed. Fake? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I imagine you've had a lot of sleepless nights over the past couple weeks. Yeah, it's true. And (laughs) some tears, but it's okay. It's all right. It's healthy. (laughs) We've got a lot of memories at Northview. Yeah. A lot of things that we've walked through. Uh, I mean, it was February 2015 Mm -hmm. that we moved into that. Right. And I mean, I, you know, um, somebody posted a picture of Amanda with Weston strapped to her loading in, I think the very first time we ever set up, I Mm -hmm. think is when that was, if I remember that picture correctly. And so we're, she's pushing a cart. It's a good picture. Weston strapped in. And uh, I saw that and it was just a reminder to me of all the things that those walls, all the memories that those walls contain and uh, a little bit tough to leave that, but excited about the new thing that God is is doing. Yeah. The and thing when, I just keep remembering is like Jesus did so many miracles yeah. at Northview. Yeah. So many miracles. Like we can't even count all of the miracles right. he did. And so just believing and knowing, like having full confidence in the fact that um, wherever Jesus leads us by yeah. his cloud, we will follow. That's right. And there will be so many more yeah. miracles that will happen. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we we posted for a while all these like baptisms and stuff. And as I was scrolling through yeah. those, I was like, all these people that mm-hmm. got baptized, like I'm, I was just flabbergasted by right. who all had gotten baptized there. It was just, it was really cool. I think I put in a, in a staff email to everybody that um, Amanda would have been really excited about this mm-hmm. move because she geeked out over decorating new spaces. <laughs> And she used to tell me. Naturally. Yeah. She used to tell me like, hey, I want to move maybe every five years. <laughs> I'm like, what? Why? You got to understand, I hate moving. Yeah, I hate think most people do. Everything about it. <laughs> no, I hate it. Like, hate it. Christy, my wife now, she loves it. She's like, move in. It's a party. Mm-hmm. Call me. And I'm like, you call her. I'm not going to help. I, I hate it. Yeah. Loathe it. I will hire movers to do everything. And it's just because I can't stand up. Just I want it to be settled, ready right. to go, right? So right. when she told, when Amanda told me that, like, I want to move every five years, I'm like, you you might move every five years. I'm not moving every <laughs> five years, you know? Like, you have to figure this out. You can just redecorate our house every five years. <laughs> right. I don't care, right? But we're going to stay in the same spot. Um, but I just think, uh, I think she would have been really excited to see this new space and to to participate yeah. in that move with us and stuff. But yeah. it's really, really cool to see what God's going to do. Today we have an interview with a gal who, um, it's very, very unique thing. She has written a book that released just two days ago, hmm. released Tuesday of this week, and it's called um, Leaving Cloud Nine. And and the author and the, the interviewer today, interviewee today is Erica Anderson. And it's unique because speaking of moves, oftentimes lots of uh, childhood trauma hmm. um 
is accompanied with the instability of moving around and bouncing around a lot. Right. And I believe that's part of her husband's story is that there was really no stability, no home among so many other crazy things Mm -hmm. that he had to deal with in some childhood trauma. And uh, it was very interesting talking to Erica about this because she has felt led to tell his story and and he doesn't feel like that's kind of his gifting but knows his story needs to be told. So she has kind of taken upon herself to talk through what she has experienced in helping him Hmm. process and heal through some crazy childhood trauma, like insane. I don't know if you ever, did you ever read the book Hillbilly Elegy? No. You never read that. Mm -mm. So it is, I I picked it up when we started talking about some of the like systemic poverty in our city, Yeah. right? And you're reading right now, like toxic charity and Mm -hmm. some of these other things. Church that never sleeps. Yeah, church that never sleeps. But Hillbilly Elegy is one of these as well. It's like the things that take place in the culture of impoverished areas, the drug abuse, the negligence, the abuse of children, Mm -hmm. and then the trauma that these kids have to overcome as they're growing up. And that's what this book is about. And that's what this interview is about as Erica kind of peels back the layers of her husband's trauma and overcoming that. It's powerful. Yeah. That's an incredible partnership too, even between like a husband and a wife to jointly share a story. Right. Cool. Right. It's very, very cool. So um, before we jump in, a couple things we want to ask of you. We'd love for you, if you haven't already, to rate and review the podcast right there on wherever you listen to this <laughs> podcast. You can rate and review it. Yeah. Honestly, it just helps get this thing out there to more and more people. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the spirit of full disclosure, we would love for this to be exposed to more and more people to help as many people as possible. Right. So if this is helping you help us to help other people by sharing it, rating it, reviewing it, and it helps it to climb through those charts. We would love that if you could do that as a favor to us. Yeah, we would also love it um, if there's anything that we can do for you, any way we can serve you, any questions we can answer for you, anything at all. Um, Our team would love to partner with you um, and serve you, answer any questions you have, like I just said. But um, you can reach out to us at hello at resonateindy.com and we'll get a response to you as soon as we can. Boom. You ready for this interview? So, so ready. It's going to be good. Here's my interview with Erica Anderson. Erica, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It is um, it's cool to hear a little bit of the connections of how we, we got um, connected to each other. We have the same hairdresser. <laughs> yes, we do. And so your hair looks fantastic. Thank you. I know all of our hair that gets done by Brittany looks fantastic. So here's she's, a shout out to Brittany she's Cooper. She's the best. <laughs> Brittany Cooper, we love you. <laughs> B Coop, B Coop. Let me, here's a funny story about B Coop. She's going to be mortified that we're talking about her on this. <laughs> funny story about B Coop. There's a friend of mine who actually married Christy and I. He was our officiant for our wedding. His name is Brad Cooper. Uh-huh. And his Twitter handle is at B Coop. Okay. And so he's had that for, I mean, he was an early adopter of Twitter. He's a pastor in South Carolina. He came up and spoke at our church at one point and he has all the time, um, been wanting to have at B Coop on Instagram. When yeah, that that's hers. Out. So, so Brittany Cooper has at B Coop on Instagram. They are totally unrelated. Didn't know each other at all. Right. <laughs> all of a sudden Brad Cooper is at our church speaking and he comes off stage. Brittany goes up to him and goes, do you have B Coop on Twitter because I am always getting shout outs that I assume are meant for you to my, and, and he goes, are you at B Coop on Instagram? That is hilarious. Random small church in Indianapolis. These two get connected the at B Social B-Coop. media storm. It's crazy. So that's our connection. <laughs> we have this yes. in common. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your family, what you guys like to do, where you're from? Sure. Um, well, my name is Erica, and I'm married to Rick, and we have two little children, and they are two and a half and almost three months. So wow. we're kind of in the trenches of <laughs> child um, of the child years right oh, now. Um, and we live in Fishers, um, okay. but we moved here from Washington, D.C. We, we met in Washington, D.C., where we had both lived for, I lived there for almost 10 years. Mm. And we met, and then we moved back here um, when we had our son two and a half years ago. 
And um, that's kind of like the nutshell of our lives. Okay. Um, I work from home. I work for a place called the Independent Women's Forum um, yeah. out of Washington, D.C. So I still go back that's there nice. a lot for work. And then he is an accountant with the federal government. And um, we're kind of, you know, homey people and family yeah. people. And um, we like our little life here in, in Indiana. That's great. What do you guys like to do for fun? Do you have any hobbies or anything? Or? Uh, well, I, I know that you do CrossFit. Yeah. I yeah. am a big CrossFitter. What? So that's one of my big things. That's awesome. How yes. long have you been doing that? Probably five or six years. Oh, man. So you're a veteran. Yeah. I, I'm a veteran. Doesn't mean I'm very good at it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things um, that I like to do. And then we do a lot of stuff with our church. We go to Waterline Church, um, yeah. which is in, um, it's in Fishers. Yeah. So we've been going there about a year and a half. And Absolutely. so, um, yeah, we, we like to go outside, do stuff with our kids. And there's not a whole lot you can do with like a two-year-old, but right. <laughs> we're working on it. That's so cool. That's a great church, too. I know the yeah. pastor very well I love and his my family. Church. They've so been great. extremely supportive. Um, we, and, and just being a part of a small church, right. I'm sure you know, is it's just such a different experience mm-hmm. than being part of, part of a big church. And I had never really experienced that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love it. I just love it feeling like my church is my family. Right. And and, you know, my pastor knows everything about, you know, walks up to me, says hello to me every service. And um, that's something I wasn't really used to. Yeah. So That's awesome. That's awesome. So you are releasing a book. Yes. In uh, a few weeks, actually, June 26th. June 26th. And it's called Leaving Cloud Nine. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's interesting because it's, kind of, it's kind of a memoir, but written from a different perspective. It's written basically your, is this, your pr- perspective on... Your husband's life, well, or it's, it's kind of like you I'm, wrote the, it. I'm the storyteller. You're the storyteller. So it was written through years, several years of a series of interviews with yeah. him. So I am woven into the book in real time. Wow. But it starts out really even before he was born, kind of starting out before even with his family history with his grandparents. Um, so I kind of tell the story of his life as a biography, and then it becomes kind of more real time when when he meets me, and then we kind of move into present day and into the future. Um, but so it's an interesting way to have written a book, yeah. and it's actually I don't believe it's normally done this way, no, where the uh, author's kind of woven in later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it worked out, and um, and yeah, it's been a it's been a kind of a roller coaster ride. Um, from the start, actually, from when we met, and right. it was soon after we met in 2010 that we kind of started generating this idea about, man, you've been through a lot, yeah. mm-hmm. and you got a story to tell, and I feel like this story could help a lot of people. Wow. Um, but never did we think we would get to this point where here we are two weeks out from this book of his life being released um, from a major publisher, right. Harper Collins and Thomas Nelson. Right. Um, you know, we had an inkling of a dream when yeah. we first talked about it. But I, I really didn't actually believe that was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he has a fascinating story through a lot of uh, trauma and pain. And so I, I'd love for you to dive in a little bit and tell us about his story, because this is, you know, this is interesting because normally we're talking to somebody who's like, hey, tell me about your story. But it is kind of your story because it's your husband and you guys are you guys are one and you're walking through some of the aftermath of all this with him as well. But tell me a little bit about um, some of the background of, of his story. Sure. Yeah. I say that, um, meeting my husband, I was able to, uh, learn and experience, not personally experience, but experience through his, his stories about a life that I, I never experienced. Mm. I, I grew up, um, you know, I had a great upbringing. And so when I met him and I learned about his life, it was, it was just, it was eye opening, mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was just incredible to see what he overcame. And so I'll tell you a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, he grew up to, uh, he, he was born, um, his mom was an alcoholic basically mm-hmm. from the time he was a little, little boy, mm-hmm. um, a severe alcoholic. And he had a little sister as well. So they were kind of in this together. Um, she's about a year and a half younger than him. Yeah. And his mom was just, she had mental illness. Um, she was a severe alcoholic. She eventually became a drug addict. And there was just a lot of neglect, a lot of ne- abuse in his life. Um, the stories that he would tell me, um, everything from you know him and his sister being left al- home alone when they were you know as small as three, four years old for days at a time. Yeah. Um, and to, you know, child protective services coming to their house and them hiding behind couches, uh, waiting, you know, trying to hide so they wouldn't be taken away to him being taken on drug deals, uh, when he was, you know, five, six years old with, with the boyfriend of his mom's. 
And um, his mom, all the way up to when he was like 14 or 15 years old, his mom sitting down with him and ask and having him try crystal meth with her, um, like introducing him to that, just giving it to him. And, you know, and he, and he did that. And so that's a small snippet of some of the things that he went through. Um, but you know, and then, and a couple other things would, I would just throw in there. Um, she, with her mental illness, she would, had suicide attempts where he would walk in on her and, you know, she's got slit wrists. Um, she is, you know, pretending that she has multiple personalities. Uh, there was just so many things that he went through, um, as a kid that were traumatic, abusive, neglectful. And, um, he, as a result of this, you know, traumatic childhood, ended up having a lot of depression, anxiety. Mm-hmm. He kind of inherited some mental illness from her mm-hmm. as well. He uh, was later diagnosed with PTSD. Mm-hmm. And um, and so <laughs> when I met him, you know, a lot of that stuff was in the past, but right. I couldn't get over, you know, how did you overcome this? Yeah, because so sure. many people in your situation, growing up in poverty, growing up with a single mom who was an alcoholic drug addict, mm-hmm. um, you know, barely graduating high school, never having a father, you know, how did you reach this point in your life where you have a good job, you went to college, all of these things. And so that's when we started talking about his story. Mm -hmm. And, and, and little did I know at that time, actually, that the story was really still being played out. Yeah, absolutely. Because he, although he did have a good job and he had gone to college, he was not, he was not healed from this past. Um, he had a lot of healing left to do. Right. Um, and, and, and in the midst of um, you know, going to college, getting a job, he, he was married and divorced twice. He had all kinds of really bad relationships. And as I mentioned, suffered from extreme depression and anxiety. Um, he, he joined the military um, and then um, he actually was in the military two different times, but he was actually medically discharged from the military for having depression. Wow. Um, so there was just so many after effects of the stuff that he went through as a kid. And, um, and, and so when we met, he was still kind of getting to that point where it wasn't healed. Yeah. He wasn't whole at all. Right. Um, and it wasn't, yeah, I think there's like a, there's a difference between, sorry to interject, but there's the, you look like you externally, you've overcome your situation, right? So you're not, if he grew up in this deep set systemic poverty and um, uh, drug abuse and abuse, typically you see that generation turnover and they're back in that, right? So right. They don't know how to escape that that actual external circumstance. Exactly. And so while you can look like you've overcome that, which very few people do, um, even if you do, there's still all the internal um, emotional scars that play into the interpersonal relationships with other people that I'm sure as you're stepping into a relationship with him, you're going, oh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of Yeah, one, one thing from. that he always used to say is he felt like he was wearing a mask. He said, wow. I look like the all-American guy. Like, you know, he's got blonde hair, blue eyes, good-looking guy, looks like he has it all together. Yeah. But inside, he felt like he was crumbling all the time. Mm. He, he just felt like people looked at him and made judgments like thinking that you probably had this perfect life when he had the exact opposite of a perfect life. Wow. And it, it was just constantly plaguing him that he looked perfect on the outside, but on the inside, he was just, just so hurt. He yeah. was just at 33 years old, he was still almost like a little kid yeah. emotionally. And, um, and, and, and in fact, he was still a lot like that when I met him. So mm-hmm. actually our relationship in, in the steps that he's taken since we met eight years ago, I mean, it's been monumental. I mean, yeah. that's really been where the miracle has happened in his life. I think there are two kind of parts that go with his story. One being, um, how did he make it? How did he end up being kind of like getting out of the generational cycle? Right. Well, I think there, you know, there's this, there's a secular answer to that. And then there's a more spiritual answer to that. Yeah. So the secular answer, in my opinion, is there was one man in his life, um, a, a boyfriend of his mom's who was there for him for quite a long period of time when he was a teenager. And so that kind of gave him some kind of role model and stability. Yeah, stability, stability, yeah. Um, And and they still have a relationship to this day, which is Mm. wonderful. Um, 
he joined the military, which gave him a sense of pride. Right. It gave him a sense of community and friendships. He had never really had friends or right. real relationships. It was just kind of, he was always a loner kind of at the, you know, at the whim of whatever his mom was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, thirdly, I think really capped it off with meeting me, meaning like he found a, a healthy person right. to have a relationship with and someone that loved God and had a great family. And I think those three parts kind of brought him through, but what really was the, you know, the impetus for this story and why we're telling this story is when he met God. Mm. And um, it wasn't until he did that, until he kind of hit his emotional rock bottom and finally said, maybe I should try this. Maybe I should talk to God that everything started to turn around Mm. to where like he was just like festering and all this trauma and all of this, you know, horrific stuff that happened to him. And then the moment that he decided to finally reach out and say, okay, I'm at my rock bottom. This is last resort is talking to God um, is when it all started to turn around. And I can kind of look at his life now and I can see his healing is so apparent. Like he, he was so broken when I met him and now he is just so put together. Mm. Like those things do not, they do not haunt him anymore. Mm. They do not, um, he used to have nightmares. Um, he used to like break down crying about things. Like he was just a very emotionally fragile and you know, his, 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 turning to God and becoming a Christian wasn't an overnight thing right. by any means. It was a very slow, um, well, okay. It was, it was fast in terms of like the span of life, but it wasn't right. a, yeah. Hey, today, everything's great. Right. It, it was a span of years in which he turned, he learned how to pray. He learned how to go to God and slowly the healing began yeah. and slowly he began to transform. And Honestly, I feel like it was a miracle before my very eyes. Wow. You know, sometimes people say like, "What is what's a miracle? What is a miracle?" You know, beside mm. aside from like somebody being you know instantaneously healed from cancer, and which is sometimes what we we designate that as a miracle, right? And, and other type of healing is not a miracle, right? It's like right, poof, exactly. That's a miracle. It's like yes, that's but, the the most obvious kind of miracle. But what about the miracles that are over the, a span of some time? You know, right? And there, and there was no reason. It's kind of like a miracle is something that you really that you can't explain, right? Right. And so there's really no explanation other than it being a miracle and God working in mm-hmm. his life that he was able to at this point is transform his life yeah. and and become healed from this. Um, and it it's something that increased my faith and my prayer life in a way that I had never experienced because I was praying for things for him. Like I've never prayed more for anyone in my life than I have for my husband. And, um, and then those prayers would be answered in like very tangible ways. And I would be like, wow, like that prayer was actually answered. And I know that's crazy for us to, you know, why wouldn't we believe that our prayers are going to be answered? We should pray them believing that they're going to be right, answered. Right. But, you know, looking at someone with such a hardened heart in certain ways and so many, he, he's a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Hard. Calloused. Yeah, calloused, very, yeah. calloused, yeah. Um, it, you know, the kind of person that you think, well, they're, they're never going to change. Yeah, exactly. And yet over and over and over again, I have prayed for him to change, not, not for like his personality to change, but for these... Um, for these things where he's been harmed in his heart, for right. those things to change about him, and they have. Mm. And it's funny because people always say, well, don't marry someone and expect them to change. Mm. Like that's like a, a basic rule, ba- right. you know, right, course, that you yeah. hear. But <laughs> with him, that is just not the case. And I yeah. think our story may be unique, but with my husband, it's kind of like, he continually changes for the better yeah. as a result of our prayers. Yeah, And it is... It, it kind of God is just um, re reminding us over and over again that I'm here and right. I'm listening and I'm doing this and right. I'm doing it all the way. And right. all all you needed was that little bit of faith. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I, I mean, there's there's so much I could say. It's hard to kind of shrink <laughs> it down into a few sentences. Absolutely. But I, I kind of think that, um, you know, if we're following after Jesus, we should change right? We should change after we get married. We should expect the other person to change too, because mm-hmm. at, no matter what, if we're following after Jesus, we're going to be continually changing. Right. We're changing into more um, 
a greater likeness of him. We're becoming more like Christ. And, um, I, I want that for, for my wife and you want that for your husband, just like you want it for yourself. And I want it for myself that we're continuing to change and you're becoming, you're continuing to becoming one. We talk about with, with like marriage counseling that it was, um, leave father and mother cleave to each other. And we also add this other thing, right? That scripture doesn't talk about, but it is more the reality of marriage. You're weaving your life together. You're weaving things into becoming one. And so you're becoming more and more like Jesus as you're changing to think more about someone else than you do about yourself, to consider someone else's interests more than you do yourself. You're very selfish and very self-centered and plagued by your own your own nature before you get married. But after you get married, hopefully you are changing, you know? So I totally understand where you're coming from. Most of the time, that's the rhetoric that we use. It's like, don't marry somebody, expect them to change. But it's like, actually, we should. We should expect them to change and we should change and mm-hmm. we become more like Jesus. And um, for us, Christine and I talk about this often, that it was us meeting she and I that kind of put some exclamation points or the final touches on on some of our healing. And we're discovering it more and more now six months into marriage, we're discovering more and more that we're like healing more and more from things because of each other in ways we wouldn't have healed had we had it not been for each other. Because you start knocking your life up against somebody else's life. It's kind of like the top load washer, mm-hmm. you know, where <laughs> clothes are knocking up against each other and that's what's cleaning each other up. That's what community is and that's what relationships are and that's what marriage should be. It's, a, it's for our sanctification as we're life on life with each other, realizing, man, I'm, I'm a selfish individual, selfish human being. And I need to become more like Christ in order to better serve my spouse in this. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's just no way we could could do this marriage, you know, without right. the Lord being, you know, kind of head of our household and head of our head of our hearts and head of our lives. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I that's why I believe, you know, that God did bring us together, even though it's been difficult. It's difficult to be uh, married to someone that is so broken. Yeah. Um, it's it's difficult to go through that with someone. Right. Um, but in a way I felt like it was a privilege. Like I felt like God gave me this, um, you know, he, God gave me Rick and, um, and then there are other ways, you know, of course we're all broken in our own ways and I, you know, I've got my stuff, you know, it's not the same stuff. It's not to that level, but it's so, it's so, um, interesting to me how he's able to kind of minister to those parts of me. Right. Um, in such the perfect way. Like there are things about him that are just so perfectly aligned to um, help take care of my struggles mm. and my insecurities um, in the same way that I feel like I'm able to do for him. Wow. And so as much as this um, book and this story is about his growing up, I, I also weave into it a lot of stuff about our marriage yeah. and so many things that I've learned about God through that and just about... Um, just like his divine plan, because right. I would have never picked this for, you know, my life. Well, of course, Rick would have never chosen the life that he had either. Yeah. Um, but I think looking back now, um, we can see kind of the purpose and mm. some of the things that he went through. And I and, and this this book is is the whole reason for that, right. um, because when we start talking about we got to tell your story, I mean, he is. When you, when you read the book, you'll hear he's very introverted. Mm. He's pretty shy. He isn't good at talking to people in his mind. And so it's a big deal for him to basically tell the entire world his entire life story. Right, and it's right. not just stuff from when he's a kid. It's like very vulnerable stuff yeah. from even as recently as six years ago, some things that happen. Mm. And that is not easy to do, especially when like our entire little neighborhood, like our right. neighbors know about the book totally. and they're going to read it. And so he's so brave to put it out there. Right. But he believes that God wanted this story to be told. Yeah. Like he's he's never wavered on that. Is you know, and with me having written the book and going through all the publicity and all these things, like it's basically kind of like all we talk about mm. sometimes. Um and it can be exhausting. It can mm. be mentally and physically exhausting because it is almost like kind of your your well it's kind of like our third child. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right now. And but he never wavers in in the fact that he believes his story can help someone. Yeah. And I think that, you know, he would say, you know, he wouldn't have chosen this childhood. He wouldn't have chosen to go through all this. But if one person can be saved from this, if one person right. can find freedom and get to know Jesus and spend eternity in heaven because of his story, 
Like it was worth it to go through it. Wow. And it's like, it makes me tear up just because um, just thinking of him and all the things that he did go through and then just how strong he's been in overcoming it wow. and telling the story um, and doing that f- for for people that he doesn't know. He doesn't know who this is going to affect and he's not going to be out there really talking on podcasts or yeah. talking on interviews. Um, but he did his part in, in letting the story be told. Mm. And, um, and we believe a hundred percent that somebody's life is going to change. And if it's Absolutely. only one life, if it's only one life that gets changed from reading this book, then it's worth every hour we spent doing it. And it's worth, you know, what he went through. Um, wow. You know, so you, you said a phrase that right there, it was worth it. Um, you know, scripture says greater love has no man than to give his life up for a friend. Right. Like that's what, that's the example that Jesus set. He's, he says, this is the greatest act of love that I can do is to give up my life for humanity and to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, to make that available and to save the world. But I think it's a really cool thing to think about Rick essentially giving up his life, right? This walking through everything that he's walked through to help somebody else. You know, I know that that's not how, it's not like he was given the choice on the front end of this to go, well, yeah, I'll walk through this for someone else. But now he's choosing to allow God to use that and to be able to articulate it was worth it if somebody's life has been changed. I've had that thought to Erica when it comes to Amanda and, and our story. And it's felt really hard to say that, you know, to say, well, if people's lives can be changed by this, then what we've walked through is worth it. But if we're kingdom-minded people with eternity, um, eternity, with an eternity perspective, with eyes for how short and brief this life is and how everything that we walk through on this earth is going to uh, pale in comparison to the glory that we're going to see in heaven, right? It says this, Scripture says this, this present suffering um, cannot compare to the future weight of glory that we're going to experience. If we have that perspective and we really see life as this short, brief, momentary blip, and then we get to experience our reward in heaven, then we can begin to wrap our hearts around this idea of like, okay, whatever I go through, if it's going to help somebody else in the light of eternity, if it's going to point them to Jesus, then it's worth it. And, um, in, in some very, very sobering times, I haven't, this is interesting because I haven't shared this with a lot of people, but I, I honestly believe in our story that if God had gone to Amanda and said, hey, listen, you're going to, this is what you're going to go through, but I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be so many people that are going to be impacted by it. I know her heart, her heart would say, all right, I'll do it, I'll do it willingly. And it sounds like the same is true for, as you and Rick are walking through this, you're going, hey, this is, it's worth it to be able to walk through this and what's the icing on the cake is to be able to say, and now we're also experiencing abundant life here on this earth and freedom here on this earth from some of these things. Um, and yeah, continue to work through some of that stuff, but we get to experience abundant life here on earth. We get to enjoy eternal life one day in heaven and bring as many people with us as possible because we have this story that is a testimony out of the greatest test of our life. I think that's incredible. And it also gives you such a great compassion for other people and Mm -hmm. what they're going through. I mean, still people don't know, looking at him, of course, what he's gone through, but he has such great compassion and such empathy for what so many people are going through. And we have such a heart for... Um, especially, especially right now, you hear so much about kids that are being affected by the opioid crisis. I mean, they're in some states, their foster care rates are up to 20% and more, um, higher than they have been because of the opioid crisis. And so it's, you know, it's exactly the same kind of stuff that was happening to him or happening to thousands of kids across the country right now. And so that has been laid on my heart so much to, figure out what can I do? What can we do to help in this situation now? Um, and I'm still working on that, but it is, is definitely a passion of mine. And, um, and there's just, there's a lot that needs to be done in terms of like getting kids mentors and just community things that need to happen. Um, because what they're going through now as kids is just going to affect it's just going to affect them so much as adults. And one thing I learned um, through my research for the book is just the kind of like the physical effects that these 
they're called adverse childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have probably heard of them. Um, the physical effects of those things, um, as an adult, uh, you know, you have like a 50% higher rate of heart disease, diabetes, right. wow. uh, so many things that, that kind of get into your body physically and affect you in crazy ways that you would never expect that have yeah. absolutely no, um, explanation for anything else. Right. Just um, the trauma and stress induced, yeah, right, what it does exactly. to you physiologically. And, wow. and, you know, another thing that I learned was like PTSD, mm -hmm. um, in childhood is the exact same thing in your brain as PTSD from a wartime experience. Wow. Basically all PTSD is the same. Yeah. Um, and that's another interesting thing that I learned. Um, and it's, it's something that you have to remember, um, you know, being married to him, knowing that that kind of trauma is a, still affects him to this day. Mm -hmm. Like he's 40 years old and like he may, you know, experience the physical effects of this for the rest of his life. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's the vastness of what something that happens to you in childhood, how it can take over for sure. really the rest of your life is, is pretty incredible. Yeah. Deep set childhood trauma. Let's say, I mean, I don't know the numbers on it, but if you think like, okay, let's say a child, the first five years of his life, has some, you know, pretty intense trauma, some neglect and abuse, and in Rick's situation, some, you know, drug uh, involvement and alcoholism and stuff. The next, it doesn't just take five years to recover from that. It's not like year for year. It's not this law of attrition where it's like, well, one year of trauma is going to equal one year of healing right. and you're going to be good to go. It's this like compounding effect that the earlier that trauma is, especially the more it creeps itself into every facet of the rest of their life. Yeah, and, and it's interesting how young it happens because, right. you know, even as young as two, three years old, those things are already setting in. And yep. you think about as a child, your your everything about you, your brain is being molded and, mm. and your personality and your character traits and all of these things. And and as you grow older, they're just getting harder and harder yeah. and, and, and going into this place where it's almost impossible mm -hmm. to change them. And it's, and it is a brain chemistry thing. Mm -hmm. And so he sometimes wonders what my, what might I have been like if I had had a healthy childhood? Yeah. Like he, he really thinks that he might've, you know, gotten, a, you know, gotten a PhD right. or, wow. you know, just, it would have been so different, the trajectory and just how his brain might've worked. Cause he, he's a really super smart person, but he, for example, has, um, trouble like comprehending so he has to like, read really slow and read things over and over again and that actually goes back to the trauma he experienced Absolutely, because it's the way that you ingest information wow. and it's just that um, talk a lot about he has like this fight or flight reflex yep. thing mm -hmm. um, people that have done a lot of research on these adverse childhood experiences talk about how Basically, everyone has that instinct, yeah. but when you're a kid and you have to fight or flight every single day, then it completely rewires your entire brain. Wow. And so then you become an adult and that's all you know. And so you're living this life in constant anxiety and constant fear. And so everything is, is on a different level and you don't have a rational way of thinking. That's been, a, that's been one of the huge things he's had to overcome is learning how to think rationally. Right and learning how to become emotionally mature right? Um, because he was really stunted there because well, he never baseline, had a chance to grow up. Yeah, his baseline isn't the same as yours. Yeah. If you had a healthy upbringing, your exactly. baseline is totally different. Hey, I just wanted to take a second and interrupt this interview to tell you about Thriving in Trial, a nothing is wasted handbook that I've just released in ebook format. Over the last year of interviewing people on this podcast who have walked through hardship and adversity, I've noticed 10 consistent themes, 10 common denominators, if you will, that have helped people find healing in their pain. I wrote my book, Nothing Is Wasted, as a memoir narrating the journey of healing God took me on after my wife, Amanda, was killed in November of 2015. While we're waiting for that book to be released, I wanted to distribute some practical content that could act as a companion to Nothing Is Wasted, the book. That's why I wrote Thriving in Trial, to give you practical tools to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. Jump over to davyblackburn.com to download your copy of Thriving in Trial, a Nothing is Wasted Handbook. Let me ask you this. How do you... So we probably have a lot of listeners who, they're on your side of the equation, right? They are 
Um, they're married to somebody who's dealt with a, a lot of trauma, childhood trauma. What do you have to keep in mind for yourself and how do you approach the situation with Rick when it comes to your just, I mean, the normal stuff that married couples are going to deal with arguments and discussions and decisions and like, what is that? How, how is it? What kinds of things have proven helpful for you in aiding him and being able to, to cultivate an environment where you can continue to heal? Yeah, definitely. Um, in the beginning, uh, when we were really, he was really still dealing, he was dealing with a lot of um, his mental illness, which he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, um, probably six or seven years ago, seven years ago. And there was a lot that I had to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did I do? I started reading. I read books about bipolar disorder, I read books mm-hmm. about depression. I, be- I read books about being married to someone that has these things. Yeah. Because one thing that I knew when I met him and he had a lot of anger issues, a lot of rage issues, is that I would see him fly off the handle, but it was like I could see through it. I could see that's not him. Wow. I could see that's not who God made him to be. I felt like God was speaking to me and telling me that. Wow. Like, you need to see past that um, because other people wouldn't see past it. Right. Other people would have seen you know, his behavior in certain ways and been like, see ya, mm. I'm not dealing with this. But there was something inside me, God, telling me, it was like I could just, it was just so clearly right. not of his heart and not of God and I could see past it. And so that's how I had to think of things so often. Mm. And you have to remember, and this is with anybody with a mental illness, especially, well, I say especially, just the ones I've dealt with, you know, depression and bipolar, is that they don't have control over how certain things are feeling. Mm. They don't sometimes have control even over that behavior, especially with bipolar. With his rage issues that he had sometimes, it was like I could tell that he literally could not control himself. Wow. And um, it was important to know that and to have the tools to deal with it. And yeah. so the tools to deal with that kind of thing is you don't react. Yeah. Um, you remain calm. You remind yourself that this person isn't rational right now. You're not talking to a person that's rational mm-hmm. right now. And so to try to talk to them like with a rational point is not going to work. Mm-hmm. And so those were tools that I had to just be like, we're going to come back to this right. later. Now, thank God, by the grace of God, we don't really deal with that anymore. Wow. That is something that he has been really freed from. Now he does take medication. We're a hundred percent pro mm-hmm. um, medication. And right. I do think that definitely is certainly a huge part of it, but I also think it's a supernatural thing Absolutely. where um, the Lord has healed him in many ways. And um, so, yeah, just going back to that, the mental illness thing, like you just have to, to realize like you're dealing with the mental illness yeah. at some points and you're not necessarily dealing with the person mm. and you have to approach conversations and situations under that mentality and just realize like, it's not going to be like, um, like a healthy person's brain. Yeah. So yeah. I, I would encourage people to, to really just get the resources for that. And it's much easier when you approach it with knowledge. Yeah. And what we'll do, so I don't put you on the spot, we'll have some resources there on the podcast notes for you guys. We'll get these resources from you later as well. Um, but uh, we'll kind of put a list of some of those together that you that were helpful for you. Yeah, and well having and having support is is great too. Like I, I joined a Facebook group that was like um, – <laughs> it's not really the greatest Facebook group, yeah. but it was helpful for me at the time. Um, I, it was like spouses of people with bipolar disorder. Because okay, wow. I was just, a, a lot of times when you're in that situation, you feel very alone. Very, yeah, you feel sure. that no one can understand what it's like. Wow. And that is exactly how I felt because no nobody I knew had that kind of a relationship. And so when I when I joined this group, just looking for some some you know, some support, Mm. I was able to find it. I was like, finally, people who get it, like, I'm not, I'm not crazy, (laughs) you know, um, it is this hard. And, um, you know, I repeat that it is not like that anymore. That Mm. has been part of this story, but it was at one time and, um, and having that support was really helpful. And how do you, so in that time, cause now you're, 
you know, like you said, there's been some uh, relief from a lot of that because of the healing that's taken place and combination of, you know, the spiritual healing that's taken place, the, um, the, the pharmacology, right, the medicine that he's been able to get on that's regulated some of that stuff. And so there is a lot of relief from that. But during that season for you, how did you keep that hope in front of you? You know, what would you say to someone who's like, I'm not sure this is ever going to change. I'm not sure. Am I going to have to deal with this for the rest of my life? Am I going to have to, how would you help somebody? Well, I would say if you're, if you're in a situation like that with someone that's dealing with these kind of issues, number one, if you're not married, you really need to have a lot of deep prayer about Mm -hmm. it. Um, I don't, I don't say lightly, you know, that, you know, he, he's continually changed for the better. Um, And I don't think anyone, just anyone could have married into this situation. I mean, I think that, you know, I, you know, believe that God brought us together. And so you need to enter marriage, like knowing that this is something that God is behind, um, first of all. But, um, but secondly, in terms of encouragement, because I knew that, that is what gave me, gave us the strength Mm. to, to keep on keeping on basically. Um, And, having that kind of anchor in our lives of just knowing that God is our foundation. We always go back to that. I mean, there's just no way that this would have worked if we weren't, um, if we weren't believers, I just, it would just crumble. And I, I see so, so, so much why marriages do crumble. And now that's not to say that Christians don't, you know, that Christians don't get divorced. Of course they do. But I think having that as the foundation of your relationship is just what makes all the difference and, yeah. and not letting go of it, continually going back to it. I mean, our prayer life, I think, is probably the most important part of this whole thing mm-hmm. and, and and the most important part of his, his healing and his whole journey. Basically, um, I'll just say that what got him to start really having a prayer life that actually began to transform his life was he read The Circle Maker by wow. Mark Batterson. He had never read a Christian book in his life, and he wasn't really that's a, a reader. That's a good one to start. Yeah. For sure. Well, the, and he was our pastor. We went to National yeah. Community oh, Church that's right. in Washington, okay, D.C., yeah. and also Mark Batterson wrote the foreword for the book. Nice. <laughs> so, shout out to Mark. Very cool. Um, but yeah, he read that book, and he just, and I didn't even know this. He didn't tell me this. I didn't even know. He just started praying every single day, like wow. for a good period of time. And this, and every, he would just do it diligently, like Mm. no matter what, didn't matter. Even if yesterday was a bad day, he would start his days in prayer. And I, I truly believe that it's that prayer and it's that willingness, that habit of going back again and again and again and again and believing that like just that small seed of faith that God is going to do something and God is going to change something um, that is what did it for him. Right. And it's not. It, it, I think, you know, people have this, it, it's not, it's not like, oh, it feels good. Or like, it feels like, you know, you feel like this miracle is taking right. place. Like the miracle, we can look back and see the miracle, but the right. miracle didn't feel like the miracle on the day in and the day out. Exactly. And, and that's what I think people have to remember. And that's also what Rick taught me through this is mm-hmm. like, he was the diligent one. He was the one that showed me like, you just have to keep doing it. And like, even after a couple years of this, we, he would have like moments that he would take, you know, 10 steps back. Wow. But yet he never gave up. He just kept coming back and believing in the grace, like yeah. believing that God was telling the truth when he said his mercies are new every morning. Right, like right. they're new every morning. Like if he were to totally screw up tomorrow, like his mercies, his mercies are still are new. new. <laughs> and there's grace for today. Here we go. Exactly. Yep. And um, so... Yeah, I mean, just I think just prayer, prayer, prayer. Like it's it's so powerful, right? And and you can't. I feel like you just you can't get through something like this or anything really without just making that kind of like the yeah. cornerstone of your faith. That's it. I think prayer. What it does is it puts our trust in, like during the impossible, it puts our trust in a God who takes care of the impossible. Right. It helps us to realize we can't white knuckle our way through healing. We can't do this on our own power. I wonder if sometimes God prevents or like pushes back a little bit from our efforts of trying to white knuckle our way through. Because if we're able to accomplish it ourselves, then we get the credit for it. And God's like, hey, this is something that's going to require a lot more power than what you have. It's going to require supernatural power. And I, and, and I think God's saying, I want to get the credit for it. I want to do something great for you to get the credit for this to help you realize that you need me and we're dependent on him, right? And so um, the scripture, one of my favorite verses of all time and it's such a cliche verse, but I think it's so appropriate for this is to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine 
according to his power at work within us. That's so funny. I totally knew you were going to say that. Isn't that the, the <laughs> what, I mean, it's such a, I mean, like we can honestly believe for, for him to do beyond what we could ask or imagine in our lives, including healing, right? Like this idea of, I don't, I mean, no situation, no traumatic situation is beyond the love and grace and repair of the power of the empty tomb right? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. So death is by far the worst tragedy there is because that's the finality tragedy, right? And there is a, I mean, you can live through some, a whole lot, but if Jesus defeated death with the empty tomb, he can defeat all those demons as well. He can defeat all of that trauma as well. He can bring you and restore you back from that as well. But the key to Ephesians 3.20 there is according to his power within us, not our own power, Right. And there's so much freedom when you believe that, when you exactly. know that and when you've seen it, because I can apply that to everything now because yeah. I have a lot of, you know, anxiety in my life too. And I deal with a lot of kind of emotional issues mm. on a, not quite a, you know, as deep a level as he was, but, but to be able to be like, it's not in my control. It doesn't have to be in my yeah. control. Like, you know, I don't have to make this book sell. Like it's right. not. You know, I you know, as soon as you as you let go, and there's just like this like, freedom in right, knowing Lord. that like God is orchestrating this, like totally. He's much bigger than any plans that I have, mm. and um, and after having seen like so many prayers answered in Rick's life through you know my prayers and his prayers, I just like my my doubt is is I don't have a lot of it anymore yeah. because I've seen it just so clearly, and um that's kind of a cool place to be in really wow. to have seen it in front of me and, and know that it's true. Man. How have you seen, um, some of the, if you could point to a couple of the big things that you saw during that season with him, uh, that you said you were really struggling maybe in the early part of your relationship. What, maybe give me an example of something you've seen now that you've you've seen really be healed. Maybe something he really dealt with that was tough for him, but you've seen the power of God really bring him to a, a new place in that. Is there something specific? Uh, that you... Absolutely. And that would be the anger issues that he okay. had, which went along with a lot of bipolar stuff. Um, but he used to have just a really bad temper. And, you know, that sounds, you know, can sound tame when you say it, but when you're in a relationship with someone that has mm -hmm. anger issues, and has a temper problem, it's like it, it's very difficult. Um, and it was something that would flare up on a regular basis, lots of fighting, yeah. lots of kind of, it was, it was kind of like he was oppressed by it because he mm -hmm. felt like he was being, I feel that he felt controlled by his anger in a way. Yeah. And that is something that I prayed specifically for and he as well. And it just doesn't happen. I yeah. mean, it, I would say in a blue moon, wow. you know, it'll happen which he's only human, you know, everybody right, has right. those moments. So it's more of like a normal type of, you know, kind of thing. Whereas it used to be kind of like a daily basis or mm. something like that. I mean, but those anger issues have like almost completely disappeared. Mm. And that's something that I didn't know. I didn't know if that would go away. Mm. Um, but it, but it's, it's gone as well as, um, he had, you know, so much of this book, leaving cloud nine is about his mom and you'll get mm. to know her, and it's, she's, you know, she's, it's a tough character yeah. and she's a real person and she's actually still alive. Um, but he had a lot of, he had a lot of um, regret about leaving her alone. Mm. And just even after all that she did for him, he still loved her so wow. much. And he had, he would like cry about her and like th he hadn't seen her in 10 years and he would just be like, I left her. She's alone. I'm, you know, I'm an awful person. And just, he had all this like stuff in his heart about his mom. And at this point he's, I mean, he's so healed from that. Like it doesn't plague him. He doesn't cry about it. Wow. He's not, you know, dealing with those issues anymore. And, and that was something that I just saw like before my eyes just become just, it's just done. Like he doesn't, wow he doesn't deal with those issues anymore. So those are two examples of things that he really overcame um, through this prayer stuff. Man, that's incredible. What a, it's a fantastic story. Uh, the book's called Leaving Cloud Nine, releases June 26. So it may already be out by the time we release this podcast. 
right after right i think we i think we're releasing it the week after this is out so it's going to be or the week of so head to really amazon <laughs> head to amazon barnes and noble right anywhere yeah all the places all yeah the places and you, you can, can also look at leavingcloud9.com as a video Very trailer cool. and some other stuff on there Man, well, it's it's definitely, and I think it's very informative, very culturally relevant to the conversations that are going on right now. I mean, with poverty, with um, that the conversations of systemic poverty, the opioid um, epidemic that's happening right now, and childhood trauma is just it's something we've been really looking into a lot. Christy is right now in a rotation of behavioral med for PA. you know, circuit that she's, her rotations that she's on. And so we've been like diving into stuff for our own kids going, okay, our kids are four, well, almost four and five and all the stuff that they've had to go through over the past couple of years, how's this going to affect them? And so I'm sure this has changed the way you guys have even looked at raising kids and what kind of stability and support. But I think it's a very cool thing to see, you know, even as Rick is getting healed from this, he's also like drawing a line in the sand, changing his family tree and that he's able to set a new precedence for your family uh, because of the healing that he's received from from the Lord. Just yeah, such and a he's, cool thing. he's an awesome dad. He's such a great dad, awesome. you know, and he just wants to, our kids are going to have the exact opposite childhood that he had. And that's like <laughs> the best thing that, you know, that's his biggest dream. And, yeah. you know, that just to, to close off, you know, his, his biggest dream in life was just to be be married, have kids and just have a simple life and a good job. And like his dream, his dream has come true. Wow. And he never thought that he would have that. And so that's the other side of the story is just like something he never thought he would have. And now here it is. He has it and he's happy and he's healed. And it's because of the Lord. That's awesome. There's hope. That's really cool. Erica, thanks so much for being on the podcast with us this week. Thank you. That was such a good interview. Yeah, she was great. I'm so glad that Erica is being bold and mm-hmm. like sharing her husband's story, um, whether that's through her book um, or through your headphones right now. Yeah. It's just really exciting that um, she's just following that call. Right. And I think what's unique about her perspective is um, she not only can, she has some like insight into what's going on in his life and, and in his mind and his heart because they're so closely connected. Right. But also she's able to kind of talk from the perspective of someone who is sitting on the other side of that with somebody and helping somebody yeah. through that and how to be patient and give grace, but also dig in and, you know, yeah, for I sure. think that that's super helpful because there's so much of healing that involves the participation of other people. It's true. You know, I think that I've heard it said before that God heals you 80% and then he gives you people to do the rest of the mm. healing, right? Yeah, that's good. That, that he shows you and exposes so much of the healing you need by by putting you around other people and them helping to kind of shave off some of the rough edges on you and stuff. And so I think it's really cool to even hear her dialogue a little bit about, hey, if you're in this situation and you're trying to help somebody who's super close to you overcome some of these things, you can be a lift to that. Mm-hmm. Or you can be a lid. You can stifle that as well. Right. And so the way you handle yourself is is very um, important. You know, yeah. like that's that's really cool. So the book is called Leaving Cloud Nine. It's by Erica Anderson. And we're going to link it all over. So right. you won't be able to miss it. It'll be in the show notes. It'll be in everything on this podcast page. We'll link it so you can get to it pretty easily and conveniently and purchase it. And uh, let's show let's show this girl some love, man, and just... Buy the heck out of this thing. Yeah, I can't wait to get my hands on it. it's a powerful story. Actually, Christy has been reading it at night when we go to bed. She's awesome. been reading herself because she just loves this kind of... She's had a lot of child, childhood trauma herself. Mm. So she loves hearing how people are overcoming that. And so um, just powerful. It's very, very cool. Yeah. Some of you have asked, um, what are some ways that you can support this podcast? Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing I would say is, hey, pray for it. <laughs> yeah. If you if you can pray for the people who are going to be on this podcast, just that they would speak boldly and clearly and mm-hmm. um, communicate um, their, their trauma, but also their healing um, and how Jesus has been a part of that. I mean, I think anytime that we get prayers about um, just our ministry you know, I feel like Jesus answers those prayers and we can feel those prayers. So pray for this podcast for sure. Pray for the nothing is wasted ministry. Um, but also, um, 
there's an opportunity for, for you to give also yeah. if you feel led. And so um, if that's something you feel like Jesus has put on your heart uh, to financially support this podcast because there is a cost involved, you can head over to davyblackburn.com slash give. And as always, we want to thank our good friend Ryan O'Neill, known as Sleeping at Last, for providing the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Mm-hmm. Incredible music. We love him to death. Thanks so much for your friendship and your partnership. Anywhere that you can get music, you can download or stream his music. Definitely jump in and grab yourself a piece of Sleeping at Last because it's awesome stuff. Yep. Still waiting on that Enneagram 9. You, that, you are an Enneagram 9 and you're I waiting am. on it. He's recently come out with five, so you got a couple more. But a couple more. <gasps> he came out with five? He came out with five. Oh, that's my podcast husband. I got to go listen to that. You better go listen to that. Mm-hmm. His podcast released on that too. So okay. love you, Ryan O'Neill. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate your music and your message. It's really, really great. And thanks so much to our Nothing Is Wasted community for hanging out with us yeah. for another episode of this. We can't wait to hang out with you next time. And until then, we'll catch you later. Love you guys. Peace.